Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 151. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we've got a really excited guest on the show, and that is Matt Monero. Matt is a business owner, entrepreneur, investor, and author, most recently authoring the book, You Need More Money. Well, today we're going to be diving into why you need more money, how to accumulate it, and breaking down the three stages of wealth as Matt defines them. So really excited to have Matt on the show. Without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, today I welcome on the show, Matt Monero. Matt, hey, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Well, hey, Matt, it's been a long time coming. Excited to have you on the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about all things money, why you need more money, how to accumulate it. But first, before we get into all that, can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the world of business, and just your journey up to this point? Yeah, I mean, my journey is just like so many uh, people's journey. I mean, I started from nothing and uh, had a desire to build something. Um, you know, my business is the truck financing business. So when you see a big rig going down the highway, um, there's a chance that my company did the financing for that truck. So we finance uh, our what we call our ideal customer is called a 557, five years in business, five trucks in their fleet, and a 700 credit score. I think it's a very important takeaway for your audience, you know, especially those that are in business. What is your ideal customer? If it's real estate, what is the ideal property that your skill set sets up for it? Are you a single family flipper? Are you a duplex? Are you a multifamily? Do you want to play point? Do you want to just ride someone else's coattails by investing in a limited partnership? What is your ideal scenario? And, and we learned very early on, 23 years ago, what our ideal customer was. And we just went out into the marketplace with force and took it. Um, unfortunately, it took a long time. And I think uh, people don't necessarily know that about my story. I mean, you know, we've been in business 23 years. And I would say the first 10 of those years were hell. This, the, the, the second five years were twice as hellacious as the first <laughs> and the last uh, eight have been just absolutely magical. So um, my story is just like everybody else's, man. Coming from nothing, trying to drive, trying to get my piece of the American pie. Yeah, I love it. Well, today we're going to be talking all things money, Matt. And, you know, quite a while ago, you kind of found out that money is very important. It kind of drives the world. It's what makes the world go around. So, but in today's society, it seems to be such a taboo topic. So, you know, why do you think it is that money is such a taboo topic and why should we be talking about it more? Well, I mean, everybody's broke. That's why it's a taboo subject. Listen, in the, the circle of people that I hang out with, it is not a taboo subject. We talk about money all the time. So, 
people with money are not afraid to talk about money. People without money are terrified to talk about money. That's one of the reasons why they don't have any money. Yeah, well, interesting point there. So, you know, you've recently written a book back in March 2018 this year called You Need More Money. I picked that book up shortly after it's been released, listened to it like two and a half times. Now, there's just so many awesome principles that you <laughs> outline in that. A lot of stuff translates really well to the world of real estate investing. I think a lot of real estate investors out there realize that, you know, they too need more money. So lots of people get started as side hustles, you know, in, in, a, in addition to their day jobs, like myself, Matt, I'm an, an engineer by day working as a real estate investor on the side. So, you know, kind of talk about the importance of money to real estate investors and, you know, kind of how that translates to that world. Well, I mean, the book is a very personal story. A lot of people think it's, you know, an investment strategy book and it's really not. It's a, it's a story that happened to our family in 2014 and 2015 when my wife's only brother, uh, my brother-in-law, John, was diagnosed with stage four cancer just by going to the doctor. I mean, he thought he was going to the doctor, get a shot and go back to work the next day. And he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And it turned out that he, he ha uh, has a wife and four children, uh, but he, he had no life insurance, no health insurance and $100 in the bank when he was diagnosed. And so I was very quickly able to see the two sides of money in that sort of desperate situation. The, the first side is in my beloved brother-in-law's situation where he could no longer work and had no money to take care of his family. And then in our situation where we could drop in and cover all of those bills for him and, and try to remove the tremendous pressure and guilt that he was feeling about, you know, how did I work for 25 years and have nothing to show for it? And, um, and as I began to research that storyline in the book, I, I began to realize, well, this isn't isolated to our family. Heck, this happens to millions of families every year. And this is actually a doggone epidemic in America. I mean, nobody's got enough money um, to, to overcome the, the, the things that they don't see coming. But more importantly, Jacob, they don't have enough money to achieve their potential and tap into it because they don't take it seriously enough. And uh, it, the book is really broken up into two sections. The first is what we call the wake-up call, where we provide storyline and data that tells us where most of us are financially. And then the second is what we call the roadmap, in an effort to try to actually give people steps to fix their money situation. And that was pretty easy for me, because I just recounted my own steps of how I did it, ranging from you know, making sure we're in the right platform, what, what some people call career path or industry or space, I call platform. How do we know that we're in a platform that can actually throw off the cash that we need? And then all the way up to, you know, the accumulation mode of, of setting up this reserve account, this sacred account in which we're stacking and racking cash, which we then move into the networking element of what most people don't have is a network that produces deal flow for them even if they have the cash, if you don't have the network, you're not going to be brought into the deals. And then once you get the network established, do you really have the courage to start pulling the trigger and investing and putting that money to work? And so those are the two sections of the book. I'm grateful for your kind comments on it and for everybody who's, who's, who's uh, been kind enough to read it and buy it and review it. We have hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon now, and um, I'm very proud of that doggone book. 
Yeah, it's a great one. And, you know, I think you start off the book, you know, with a really sentimental story with what happened to your family. And unfortunately, it's a story that happens all too often across our country, like you said. So one of the things I really took away from this book, Matt, was how you kind of define the three stages of wealth or lack thereof, if you will. And that is the broke accumulation mode and rich. So kind of outline those kind of recap what those are for the audience members who haven't picked up that book yet. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I do define the, the three stages of wealth as broke, and then in accumulation, and then in rich. Uh, broke, I define in the book, which was something I really wanted to do was give people milestones of what I thought were real numbers. Um, and that is, if you don't have $50,000 liquid cash sitting in your account, you're broke. And, and that's a very hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. But in my experience, it's true. Once we get the 50000 then we move into what I call accumulation mode, where we're really beginning to work our platform. We're skilling up. We're maximizing compensation. We're maximizing value contribution, contribution of the marketplace. And we're then taking tokens, money, and we're stacking and racking it into this reserve account, which we can then begin to deploy. And then rich is where it gets a little bit obtuse. Um, because people really need to understand what rich is. And that is through your leading of your own lifestyle by design, Jacob. Are you really connected to your core values and your superpower and what you're really capable of achieving? That can define rich. I use an example in the book of someone, a client of ours who drives a truck for six months out of the year and then surfs in Costa Rica for six months out of the year. Now, financially, he may not be rich like some people, but in a lifestyle by design, he's as rich as you can be because that's the only thing he wants to do, and he's built his life around making enough money to be able to do that. So, um, you know, I'm not uh, braggadocious enough to tell someone exactly what rich is, um, but it sure is a connected to your lifestyle by design, even though in the book I do say that you know, we really need 5 million bucks or more before we can ever take our hand off the throttle. And by the way, the publisher hated me putting all of those in there. <laughs> they fought me tooth and nail. They thought it would alienate a lot of people. And they actually made me take out one section, which I'm happy to share with your audience, which was um, really, I, I said in the book, life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250 grand a year and life gets real good at 500. And they made me take that out and said, oh my gosh, no one, everyone will freak out if you say that. So I just say it on, on podcasts now. Yeah, I like that. Well, you know, you've got an interesting take on personal finances and, and wealth accumulation. Now, going back to that definition of you're rich, I kind of synonymate that with what I call financial freedom, being able to do what you want when you want, essentially living that lifestyle you've created passively. So, you know, the name of the game here on the real estate way to wealth and freedom is obviously achieving financial freedom, building wealth through passive income. So one of the things I really took away from your book too, Matt, is, you know, a lot of real estate investors out there, they want to quit their job. They want to, you know, eventually become full time and work for themselves. And you say, whoa, whoa, maybe that's not the best approach. Maybe being an employer for somebody else is your best approach. So, you know, you don't hear much of that in at least the real estate investing world. So talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the risks of going out and working for yourself. Listen, the only reason I made it in business is because I have an incredibly high tolerance for pain. <laughs> uh, mo most people don't have the, the tolerance for pain that I have. And I'm not saying that to, to pat myself on the back. It's actually been a detriment for most of my life. It actually comes from my upbringing. My real dad split when I was six months old. He left my mother and I high and dry. I never saw him or ever heard from him again. 
And then when my mother remarried, my adopted dad um, was a very, very harsh guy. And so I early in my life had to build this thick skin over insults and um, letdowns and disappointments. And oddly enough, it served me well in my entrepreneurial journey. Um, and I don't believe most people are truly set up for that tolerance of pain. And that's why I believe most people should not go into business for themselves. And they should think about becoming an entrepreneur, uh, an entrepreneurial mindset inside of a big company umbrella. You get the marketing budget and the accounting support and the operation support and the IT support. But yet, if you find this platform in which your entrepreneurial spirit gets, gets embraced, you can be incredibly successful as an entrepreneur and never have to have all the headaches of an entrepreneur. Do you think it's possible to do both, Matt? You know, work for a company, you know, and grow within the corporate ladder and also have your side stuff going on. You know, what's your take on that kind of? Look, I think a side hustle is very important to, to create ancillary income, but I very rarely find someone who has one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat being able to achieve high levels in both. Uh, I am an all-in kind of a guy. So I think side hustles eventually have to be defined because side hustles very rarely turn into these things that make you more money than your primary area of focus. So 2000 a month, 3000 4000 5000 a month can easily be generated on a side hustle. And I think that's great, especially if you're stacking and racking the cash and then earmarking it for additional investments. I think it's awesome. Or if you're doing it to supplement if you're behind financially. But in general, I'm an all-in guy. I want to be all-in in my business. I want to turn that side hustle into my business in which I leave my career and I go all-in. Or I want to be all-in in my career uh, in an effort to really spend the amount of time required to get the wheel of real income to spin. Yeah, now it makes a lot of sense. And you just see a lot of real estate investors out there start out part time in it, you know, and the, the eventual goal is to, you know, work for yourself and be your own boss and be financially free. But in the meantime, you've got to have something that's paying the bills and, you know, funding, you know, those acquisitions on the side. So just interesting to hear your take on that. Now, going back to, uh, you know, our definitions of broke accumulation and wealth or riches, you call it, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of in that false positive, they're broke, but they think they're not, or they're living like they're not. So talk about that. And, you know, I kind of see it a lot, you know, as a young professional in the workforce, you see lots of people, you know, spending lavishly and, you know, driving newer cars and living in swanky places and doing all this stuff. And you just know that those people are living at least at the top of their means. I love the, the term, you know, I call it hashtag false positive. It's when, it's when you think you're doing better than you really are. And uh, we do see a lot of people in that, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, you, you don't really see it that much in, in really broke people. You actually see it more in people that are on the cusp of from what we call broke to accumulation mode. They actually have a little bit of money and they think it's a lot of money, right? They have 20 grand in the bank and they're spending two grand on the Prada purse or, you know, they've got 20 grand in the bank and they're going to Disney and dropping 15. Uh, you know, that to me are definitions of false positive. They've got 10 grand in the bank and they're spending 400 bucks on steak dinners and stuff. And by the way, there was an element of that in my life as well, too, um, in which I just wanted to feel better about the struggle 
And, uh, and I began to tease and, and trick myself into thinking that I was doing better than I really was. And that's why, you know, a lot of the stuff in the book, the budgeting exercises, the milestone creations, the understanding of what is broke and what is accumulation and what is rich, I think helps people. And then I also give the strategy, if you remember, of how you get yourself out of false, bro- false positive, which is you begin to tell yourself, I'm in accumulation mode. And when I started to tell myself that, it became very powerful for me and my friends who would say, hey, let's go to, you know, Bob's Chop House and get 400 bucks with, on a double date. And I would say, I'm not doing that anymore, guys. They say, why not? I say, I'm in, false, I'm in accumulation mode. They say, what's accumulation mode? I said, man, I'm stacking the rack of cash. And, and some left me and wouldn't be my friend anymore, but most came and they would say, man, I'm so glad we're in this thing called accumulation mode because I didn't want to spend 400 bucks on, on dinner anyway. Let's go get tacos and, and a few coldies and spend 40 bucks. And it's very powerful when you begin to use these terms called I'm in accumulation mode versus trying to live in this thing called false positive. False positive is for losers. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people in the upper, you know, middle class are comfortable. And that's kind of a dangerous place to be. You know, if you're comfortable, you're going to get a little complacent. You think you're good, but you're really not. You're maybe just a paycheck or two away from being dead broke. So I think it's important for a lot of people to realize that. And, you know, maybe if you've got that $20,000 in the bank and you can afford that $2,000 Prada purse, like you mentioned, maybe not the best idea. You know, you say kind of keep your foot on the gas. You're not even out of the woods yet. You're just now about to be in that kind of accumulation phase. So, and then once you get an accumulation phase one, it just sounds cool. Stack and rack sounds awesome. You know, you can gladly go to your buddies and say, Hey, I'm not going to that nice dinner. I'm in accumulation mode. I'm stacking and racking cash. And people are like, yeah, sounds good. I like that. Sounds smart. You know, so really like what you've come up with there. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's, they, they are power statements that make it very difficult for someone to fight you against it, right? right? Well, why are you in accumulation mode? Dude, I'm stacking a rack in cash. Don't you? Don't you want to do that too? No, I want to go and, you know, uh, piss off all my money. Really? Well, dude, you're probably not a guy I want to hang out with anymore, man. I want to hang out with guys that are stacking and racking cash. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, you've got uh, five steps to your lifestyle by design. So kind of walk us through high level what those five steps are. Look, the first thing to lifestyle by design is the visualization exercise. It's the creation of, of the, the, the vision. What is it that you want it all to look like? And I don't think I can stress that enough. I don't think most people really understand the power of seeing it before it actually happens. Um, and people really need to spend a tremendous amount of time on that what is it that you stand for? What are you willing to tolerate or not tolerate anymore in your life and from the people that you're around? So step one of the lifestyle by design process is figuring out long before it happens, what do you really want it to look like? I'll give you an example. For me, my core value, number one, is to be a better father to my three boys than my father was to me. And that becomes paramount over everything. So even though I talk about that 15 year of struggle, um, the reality was my core values were crystal clear. I was still coaching my kids in their sports. I was still on the field with them. I was not missing their games. There is an element of I wasn't overly present either, though, mentally, right? Because the business was stealing so much of my happiness because I was filled with sort of <laughs> darkness and despair and wondering, is it all going to work out? 
But nevertheless, because I had that core value so crystal clear, I was able to be present. And my boys will always know that, you know, their dad was involved in their lives because it was a core value of mine. Um, I'm not so sure in all frankness that my wife would say the same thing, though, because there were a lot of times I canceled on her. There were a lot of date nights I canceled on her. There were a lot of things that, you know, uh, weekend getaways that never happened because I was so consumed with trying to get the business off the ground and, and to a, a reasonable level. I would tell you today, she probably doesn't hold it against me because we don't have those issues anymore. But there was certainly a period of time of my 20-year marriage where there was stress over, uh, my wife used to say to me, you're so much bigger than your business. One day you'll realize it. And those were incredibly motivational words for me. Uh, it was actually, oddly enough, I don't think she was saying it in a nice way, but I was, <laughs> I was receiving it as, as positivity and motivation to actually eventually live that. And now, I, with all due respect, I actually think I've completely outgrown of my business. Um, and my business is just one element of my lifestyle by design. It is not the all-consuming thing. Yeah, when you're talking about visualization, something I've been talking about lately, Matt, is like, you know, picturing success and defining what it looks like to you. Like, what do you want your life to look like in 5, 10, 20 years? And then take steps to make that happen. Set goals and take actionable steps this week and next month and next year and the next five years. You know, just saying like, hey, I want to be rich or I want to retire early isn't enough. You have to no you know, get specific and measurable and really visualize it. And do you want to surf in Costa Rica for six months? Or do you want to, you know, go to every one of your kids' baseball games? You know, you got to get really specific with it. So yeah, I like what you're doing there. Well, there's a lot of ways, Jacob, that people can do that too. I mean, you can just, you know, uh, one of the latest things I've done is, is become a real expert at time blocking. Um, and, and I think people don't really understand, people think time blocking steals your freedom. Actually, time blocking gives you your freedom back, right? Um, and it, may, it gives you focus and discipline again. Um, but in order to get really good at time blocking, I'm not joking. I probably, I probably researched time blocking for 100 hours before I ever adjusted my calendar. So that's an element of building this lifestyle by design. It's a commitment to skilling up, to becoming an expert at something. And um, it's never been easier. Heck, I just did it on YouTube, by the way. It wasn't like I paid someone to teach me how to time block. I went to YouTube and probably watched, I literally watched 150 videos on YouTube about the, the nuances of time blocking. And, and I just figured it out. And, and, and now, you know, I'm sort of a slave to my calendar. But if you saw my calendar, you'd see how it's built out by lifestyle by design because it's all, it's all colorized. So like if I have a red on my calendar, it means I really don't want to do it. So <laughs> one of those, like in our office, we do a boot camp in my office, Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we bring in a personal trainer and we work out literally in a boot camp in our parking lot for, from 1215 to 1245. Well, that's calendarized. It's time blocked on my calendar, always in red because I never want to do dark red, <laughs> dark red, right? But yet other things that require me, like for example, your podcast, when it's time blocked on mine, it's time blocked in yellow because I need to do a little preparation before it. yellow means there has to be some preparation before the event occurs. And then purple on mine is where I'm the rider. I'm not the leader. I'm not the driver. So we have rhythms in my office with our team members 
And I'm never the leader of those rhythms. I'm the rider. So those go in purple. Date night goes in purple. My children's games goes in purple. Uh, celebrating an employee's birthday, that goes in purple for me. And so I can look at my week and see, do I have more purples than I have reds? Well, that's good for me, right? Um, do I have more yellows than I have purples? Well, that means I'm, I'm, I'm going to be digging in and doing a lot of learning for that week. Or do I have a lot of purples and not enough yellows, which means maybe I, my week is sort of set up for a coast and I better get after it on a couple of things. Yeah, really cool. And what I like at what you're doing here is just ultimately you're just living very intentionally. You're spending your time intentionally and guarding your time most importantly. You know, lots of people just, you know, get pinballed throughout their day, wake up, brush their teeth, go to work, do what they're told, come home, they're tired, they don't have any drive for any extracurricular things, binge on Netflix. You, you know, you wake up with a purpose, you go throughout your day with certain tasks. So, yeah, I really like that. And I think it's a, a good takeaway. Uh, there's a lot of things you just said that I'm going to start implementing myself. I've been interested in time blocking myself and starting to kind of live on more of an actual uh, online calendar. I'm much more of a paper guy, but you know, I like, I like some of the strategies you've talked about. So interesting stuff there. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's really, it's been an amazing uh, improvement. And again, I fought it because as kind of a creative guy and a sort of freedom fighter. I thought that it would steal time and it's done the exact opposite. It's given me the ability to be present in a lot of situations, whereas before I was a little bit at times half-assing it. Yeah. So in these five steps for, you know, setting a lifestyle, but design, you talk about core values, visualization, and then this doorman principle. And that's kind of what this calendar is doing for you is acting like your doorman, right? <laughs> it's absolutely. So I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a concept that was taught to me by my friend Rick Sapio. Um, and the doorman principle is, is literally, as you would see, a doorman in front of a fancy high-rise. You don't get into that fancy high-rise unless you clear the approval of the doorman, right? You, you got to have something to get past him whether you're delivering value, whether you're name dropping, whether you're in the club, whatever it is, someone is standing guard of these things that you want. And that's exactly the principle of, of asking people as they develop their lifestyle design to put this doorman in place. Because once somebody gets behind that door, if they're not aligned with those core values or your own like-mindedness, they can wreak havoc on your life and they can steal from you, hire the wrong accountant because you didn't have a good doorman or filter in place. They could steal from you. Uh, you, you hire the wrong employee who has litigation at their previous employers that your, your doorman didn't catch or protect you from. Well, guess what? You may have litigation in your world too. In your real estate example, if you're doing a deal with somebody who's screwed over people previously and you don't have a doorman to filter the core values, you may have just invited them in to steal from you or, or put you into a bad deal. So the installation of a doorman is so vital to protecting this lifestyle by design that you're working so hard to build. Yeah, I like that. And you know, there's just so many ways that your time can get stolen from you throughout the day. So, you know, having that calendar kind of helps, but going back to those core principles, you know, what are you going to guard your time against? How are you going to, you know, spend your time? And, you know, what do you kind of want your, your day, week, month, even life to look like? So yeah, I really like the concept there. 
So, you know, next thing you talk about is goal setting. And, you know, this is one of my favorite topics. I'm a big goal oriented guy. I write my goals down every day from our, you know, mutual buddy Grant Cardone and his yep. 10X planner is kind of where I got that awesome. habit picked up from. So, uh, you know, talk about the importance of goal setting and how it's had an impact in your success. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my the the biggest goal that I ever set was building the company to 100 million bucks a year. Um, I don't know where that 100 million came from. It was just sort of a random number, which I think is an important element of goal setting. They don't they don't really necessarily have to have this predefined roadmap, right? I mean, uh, you can just come up with these crazy things. I, I I know one of yours is to have 10 million dollars in real estate holdings by 2020, right? Yes. Congratulations, dude. <laughs> I don't need to know whether 10 million is attainable or realistic. It don't matter to me. You just got the goal down. Now you know what the top of the hill is and we've got to really push to achieve it. The downside is most people set goals that are way too low because human nature, what people need to understand about human nature, Jacob, is that we are hill climbers. We will climb hills. We do want to achieve innately. And the downside is we establish hills that are really very small. <laughs> and when we get there, we're like, man, I should have climbed a bigger hill. I should have, I should have, it should have been bigger. For me, it was 18 years to get our company to $36 million a year and 18 months to get it to 100. That's awesome. And why did, why did it take me 18 years? Why? Why didn't it take me 18 months when I started it, because I didn't have real goals. I didn't have a, a roadmap. I didn't have core values. Hell, I went to cooking school for God's sakes, right? Nobody, I didn't, I wasn't in the truck financing, you know, degree business. If there is even such a, <laughs> yeah. I didn't figure it all out. And, and because of lack of goal setting, it extended the time required for me to achieve it. So the goal setting piece is massive, man. Do you think that ultimately came down to just changing your mindset? Yeah, look, people think change is difficult, and it's not. Change can happen in an instant. Uh, it's just a matter of the decision. What, what people, I mean, you can just go through examples of people who lost weight or people who quit smoking or they, they, they quit drinking or drugs even for that matter, or certainly those that changed their financial situation. It always starts with a decision, and usually it's those that make instantaneous decisions that achieve the change. The, the change decisions that drag on just usually don't stick. It change is not difficult. It can occur in an instant. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And you know, that's a good point. Um, one thing I kind of talk about are you know people overestimate what they can do in a year. Sorry, underestimate what they can do in a year and overestimate what they can do. Well, I had that right time. to begin with yeah, in, a <laughs> in a decade, time. right? Yeah. So you know, one of those examples are New Year's resolutions. People they don't always have a good reason for why they're going to execute a New Year's resolution. It's just January first. I'm going to start getting on the treadmill, and that lasts until January 20th, and you know, fizzles away. So, look, I, I say it in my first book, The Grit, um, that your mama had it wrong when she told you the first step matters. The first step doesn't matter at all. It's totally irrelevant. What matters is the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth step. And so goal setting without the action connected to the goal setting, with actual, without the actual physical movement, the physical adjustment is worthless. So it really is more than just setting the goal. The goal without the action piece is really sort of a waste of time. Yeah, it's kind of like where the rubber meets the road, right? Talk is cheap. 
<laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, Matt, certainly talk is not cheap in your world. You're uh, acting and out there doing all the things you preach. Man, I just really have a, have a lot of respect for, you know, the content you delivered in You Need More Money book. It's a great book. I think all the audience members ought to go pick it up. I've been pushing it to all my inner circle of friends recently. So they'll hear this podcast come out and say, oh, man, you know, so I hope they've read it by this time. Thank well, Matt, you. it's been a lot of fun talking about the book. You know, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round, just a series of questions we ask every one of our guests. Are you up for it? Totally. All right. Well, the first question will kind of tailor towards business and not so much real estate investing. But, you know, what would you say was your biggest hurdle getting started in the world of business? And then what did you do to overcome it? Yeah, I was my own worst enemy. There's no question about it. I had a lot of self-esteem issues. I didn't think that I was worthy of getting connected to networks or, or mentors. Um, and so I waited way too long to ask for help. And um, I should have been trying to put myself into the right circles very early on, um, but I didn't. I mean, if, if, we, you know, if you listen to Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and his interviews from Andrew Carnegie, it really is the second. The definitive purpose is Andrew Carnegie's number one rule of success. The second is the ability to put yourself in an accountability group and to find a group of people that hold you accountable to reaching your potential. And I didn't do that. So without question, it is my number one regret that I didn't, I didn't look um, at myself as worthy of being connected to other successful people. Huge mistake. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success now? Look, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty gritty guy. I mean, when I, when I say I'm going to do it, I do it. It may take me a little while to say it because I, 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 I try to weigh a lot of different options. But once I say I'm going, I'm going. And, um, uh, and you know, the challenge for me has been, am I going in the right direction, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I'll put my head down and I'll get there. Um, so that's an important, uh, uh, you know, it's a real, I think it's a real superpower of mine, which is that I, I once I'm clear on it, I'm going to go do it. Yeah, I love that. Well, Matt, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day to day? Look, as it relates to business, and I'm now uh, in full transparency, I'm a partner in this company. But um, one of the things we haven't talked about is when I got that co- our company to 100 million bucks, I torched it. And I burned it to the ground and I rebuilt the company on very crystal clear mission statement, catalyzing statement and core values because I learned all of that from a company called Business Finishing School. And again, in full transparency, I own now 50% of Business Finishing School because I love the content so much that I bought half of the company. Um, But I would highly recommend people look into Business Finishing School, go to businessfinishingschool.com and learn the type of content that we push out, the roadmap that we deliver, whether you're like me who sort of built a big screwed up business or you're just getting started, the foundational principles of business finishing school are incredible. My partner in that business is Rick Sapio, who taught me the doorman principle. The doorman principle comes out of business finishing school. Okay, awesome. So that's business business finishing school. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes if our audience members want to learn more about that. Cool. Well, Matt, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Obviously, we've been speaking all episode about the You Need More Money book, which is a great one. So aside from that one, is there another book you recommend? Yeah, I mean, we're going to go back to the Cardone mindset without question, the 10x rule. It's the, I, I've read, I don't know how many hundreds of books and listened to thousands of tapes. The, the 10x rule is by far my favorite book of all time. 
I read that book in 2011, and it was the major catalyst for us to make that swing from the 18-year hell to what we did in 18 months. So everybody needs to read the 10X rule for so many reasons, but one is because we begin to understand that we are not competing against other people anymore. We are just competing against ourselves. And I never understood that until I read that book. Yeah, great book. That's the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. We'll link that in the show notes. Matt, very last question we've got for you is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self to get started in the world of business? Uh, good, good, good question. Um, I don't know how this compares to what other people might answer, but in all frankness, I would tell my early 20s, 20 to say 25, I would say worry about it all less. I would say go have some fun, man. Go <laughs> screw up, go travel, drive across the country, backpack in Europe. Do not worry about how it's going to play out because that 20 to 25-year miss you're not going to get much done anyway. So go goof around, go have a good time. Um, really go, go search, go see the world <clears throat> because you will come back more educated than doing what I was doing, which was cold calling out of a yellow pages in a dumpy one bedroom apartment. I wasn't learning much. I would have learned more to try to be more of a worldly guy. You know who Chris Saka is? I don't. <clears throat> so Chris Saka uh, he's on. He's a guest on Shark Tank sometimes, but he's got a really interesting story. He only hires people who have traveled the world as students or as young people. He he needs people to have a larger view of the universe than versus someone who's very narrow. So that's the that's what I would get. I was I was terribly worried about success when I should have just been worried about you know um, hanging out with girls. <laughs> I love it. Well, you guys heard it best from Matt Monero. Matt, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on the podcast. You've once again delivered so much value. As we're wrapping up here, is there any kind of parting piece of advice or guidance you'd like to leave with the audience members? Well, I would just say see it first because once you, it doesn't happen unless you see it. And once you see it, the subconscious will drive you in that direction. It doesn't happen without effort. It's not just good enough to visualize it, but without the visualization, it don't happen. So I'm a huge visualization guy. I see it long before it happens. Awesome. I love it. Well, Matt, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. For the audience members that want to learn more about you, connect with you, maybe pick up your book, where can they find you? Yeah, it's mattmonero.com, Matt Monero on all social media. Uh, obviously, you need more money is available on Amazon and both Audible. I read the Audible, as you know. Uh, or in hardcover, and then uh, and then businessfinishingschool.com is a great resource for business tools. Awesome. Love it. Well, Matt, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Look forward to having you back on in the future. I can't wait. Thanks again for your help and your time and your support. I'm grateful for it, buddy. Thank you, Matt. Take care. Bye. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Matt Monero. As you can tell, Matt has a tough-minded yet encouraging way of coaching you to get your money right and your money mindset, so really hope you got value from today's episode. If you like what you've heard, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. All the resources we mentioned in today's show are in the show notes for you to check out, including Matt's latest book, You Need More Money, his other book, Grit, and of course, Business Finishing School. 
As always, for more information and to connect with me, visit www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.